You're listening to an Anazal Ministries podcast. Have you ever wondered what a rated R Disney animated film in the 80s would have been like? We almost got to find out. But after 12 minutes of edits, Disney earned its first PG rating instead for The Black Cauldron. And that is the movie we're going to talk about today. We're back on our Disney retro. This is Systematic Geekology. We are the priest to the geeks. And that just means we're some geeky guys who kind of want to relate stuff back to deeper thought, philosophy, theology, all that kind of jazz. I am Joshua Knoll. I am a fourth year biblical study student. And I I love all things fantasy, all things Disney. And I've had a blast just kind of digging into this movie, getting ready for this episode. I am Joe. I am a podcaster, broadcaster, and uh, yeah, this is this is one of those movies that I, I'm I'm excited because this is a snapshot into history of Disney. You know, yeah this uh this movie is <laughs> pretty unique. Um, so let's just go ahead and jump on into this. Uh, first thing first, I, I do want to say while we're why we're doing the Black Cauldron, there are three movies that were sort of the transition between original classic Disney with its first animators and then the new newer Disney with stuff after that. And those movies were Fox and the Hound, The Black Cauldron and The Great Mouse Detective. Those are the last movies you have any of the original animators from Disney on. And we tried to do Fox and the Hound. We attempted it. Joe and I disagreed pretty heavily on some stuff, and it was kind of an, uh, how would you describe it, like an awkward episode maybe? Yeah, yeah. You know, there's there's always room for healthy discussion and healthy difference of opinion. Obviously, the word that you keep hearing me say is healthy, and when you cross <laughs> that line, it just kind of gets a bit awkward. Yeah, so if you want to hear an awkward review of a more classic Disney movie with some, I don't want to say heated, but some strong debate between the two of us. You could go to patreon.com forward slash systematic ecology. We're going to put that on there. Not every episode is a hit, but you know, we like to throw some extra, extra stuff over there. So if you guys want to hear it, that's where it's at. Today, we're going to make up for some of our shortcomings in that and talk about The Black Cauldron, um, which is one of the movies Disney's kind of tried to hide. Uh, It was not well received for a long time. In the 90s, it said it was easier to find Song of the South than it was to find The Black Cauldron, (laughs) which is fascinating. (laughs) Um, When 98, I think, is when it finally came to VHS and... I think it also came to DVD at the same time or around the same time. And that's about the time that I saw it. And I was like six. So to me, you know, I saw it pretty early on still in childhood. Um, I liked it a lot more than most people seem to for some reason. <laughs> um, I recently discovered the book series that it's based on and started getting into some of the audiobooks and stuff for that. So it's the Chronicles of Pride. In. we're going to talk some about that later on. Um, but for now, I want to talk about why this movie is important to Disney history, film history, etc. I'm just going to share some fun facts real quick, if that's okay with you, yep. Joe. All right. So first up, I want to talk about Disney's nine old men. And yes, that's literally what Walt Disney called them. It was the nine original animators, producers, etc. We have Les Clark, 
Mark Davis, Ollie Johnston, Milt Call, Ward Cabal, Eric Larson, John Lounsbury, Wolfgang Reitherman, and Frank Thomas. A lot of them left with Fox and the Hound. Not a lot, but I think like three of them left during Fox and the Hound. Ollie Johnston is the one who stepped down from this movie. The last move, Disney movie with any of the original animators will be The Great Mouse Detective in 1986. This movie came out in 1985. Fox and the Hound, I believe, was 1981. Um, honestly, mid, early to mid-80s was as rough as a time as you can have for Disney. They went a few years without a movie a couple times in the 80s, which is just weird. Um, the Nine Old Men, they animated and directed every Disney movie from Snow White in 1937 all the way through The Rescuers in 1977. So you have from 77 to 81, where there wasn't really any Disney. I think there might have been some, but uh, then 81 to I think this was 85 or 84 was the other gap. Um, so that being said... This is the first Disney movie. This is the other fun fact. Fox and the Hound was the last Disney movie with credits before the movie rolled. This is the first Disney movie with credits after the film. And that's kind of a big marker in films. It's, it's really interesting to see what that transition is like. Fox and the Hound has this really slow opening. So they have all the credits during the, you know, the scenes of the forest and little critters running around and the music slowly coming in. This one just starts cold, open, deep voice narration, the black cauldron. <laughs> I love cold opens. Obviously you can tell it's something that's crept its way into this show. And that wasn't really possible till they moved the credits to the end of the scene. So that was a huge moment in history. And of course we talked about how this was almost rated R before the new producers of Disney came in, checked it out and said, uh, no, you, you guys got to cut. All of this. There was a scene um, you can find. I forget where it's at, but you can find it where in the, right before the last battle stuff, which the last battle, I think, was also cut from the original or the movie that, when it came out. But the uh, scene had a man's skin and blood and everything just boil right off of his skeleton. <laughs> it was a very graphic. Um, OK, so this came out what really what the the creators over at Disney was thinking in the 80s. Fantasy was all over the place. You have He-Man, you have the Smurfs, you have the animated Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit. Um, I, I'm sure I could go on. Um, Joe, 80s cartoons are sort of a, a highlight for you, right? Yeah, for me, this this movie like screamed of the same kind of animation style and same type of, um, I guess, storytelling, like animated storytelling that that some of my very favorite uh, IPs uh, employ. And and for me, I think it's interesting that a a movie like this is so divisive, right? And some of the 80s cartoons are also very divisive. (laughs) But... What I see when I see the a movie like this, I see a lot of the the fluff of it all boiled down and much more emphasis put on classical story beats that are closer to some of the more substantive side of using these literary tropes and things like that to tell a story. And this one in particular did not veer away from the idea of 
going there and doing that and you know really packing a punch with what it's trying to accomplish yeah and it's it's interesting for for my fellow disnerds out there when you're talking about the animation style how much is very clearly from the nine old men where you're like okay yeah that was that was older disney style like uh when, I, when i'm looking at um the animation for Henwin or uh, I can't remember how to pronounce her name. Elanwi. Am I, am I saying that right? Uh, yeah, I think that's it. Elanwi. Yeah. Y'all, y'all know what I mean. Uh, th- that's very much the classic old Disney style. And then you can kind of tell where Taran um, creeper. Some of those are a lot of the newer stuff. And it's just kind of, it's weird seeing the transition in the animation. Also, uh, I, I don't know if you knew this. It's something that's kind of interesting. They they did a lot of the filming isolated where they like, okay, you guys are in charge of this scene. We'll be in charge of this scene. And that kind of comes up with some wild switches of the tones of the movie. Yeah. I mean, think even in the beginning, you have this narration, this deep, dark looking, you know, thing about the cauldron. And then the very next scene is this happy go lucky. Tehran is with the pig and doing farm stuff. And it's really happy sounding music. And it's like, OK, well, this was clearly two different teams worked on those scenes. <laughs> I actually didn't mind that. I thought that that was a um, a nice touch. It, it, yeah, I like you it. know. I I think for something like this, not only is it action packed and all of those kinds of things, but it also allows for those tonal shifts that keep your interest. You know what I mean? On top of everything else that's going on. Oh yeah, oh yeah. And and for me, um, you know, we talk a lot about like how the well, a this is fantasy. We have zombies. We have goblins. We have fairies. I love fantasy. You guys know this. You've heard. Usually it's Brandon and I talking fantasy. Today it's Joe and I and it's Disney fantasy. So that's layers there, right? Um, so I, I already love what the concept is. Um, checking out the books. I'm already loving the books. Um, and then you get to the classic Disney of it, the silly Disney of it. And I'm like, it, it's just a mosh posh of all these things that I love. And it still gets so much hate. And I'm like, I just don't feel like it's warranted. I feel like those the switches of the mood of the movie kind of add to the overall experience. Personally, I could see where maybe not everybody's into that. But yeah, I don't. So that's news to me. Right. I did not know a lot of the preamble other than the movie itself. And I rewatched the movie in preparation for this and it did not. I had no idea that this is something that is a divisive piece of cinema. I can't say as though I'm necessarily surprised by that, but this seems right up the alley of the generation that this came out for. Because, like I said, I mean, maybe this is completely due to the power of hindsight, but when you look at the climate for this for animation like this and this kind of storytelling i could easily rattle off at least five different animated series or very famous pieces of ip that you could look at the, that in comparison to the black cauldron and if you like one you like the other so the fact that this is like so divisive and all of that I don't know. I mean, is it is it because there people you know watching Disney come to expect something out of Disney, and this movie? I will admit, 
is probably one of the more hardcore Disney movies that I've seen. I so I have a couple different hypotheses of why why it was, and it, it's it's interesting. Um, the story of the Black Cauldron, and there was a lot of drama behind the production of this. It it took way longer than it should have to get this movie out. It was done a couple years before it ended up being released. The story is opposite that of Treasure Planet. The um, this was the fun fact I wanted to share earlier. So Fox and the Hound was the highest, you know, it, it produced cost for an animated film until it was produced. And it was eleven million dollars is what it cost to produce Fox and the Hound. This one was like forty four million. Wow. So this was completely unheard of. They poured money into this thing. They tried to create an effect that would come in theaters where without 3D glasses, when the cauldron appeared, it would look like it was 3D. They tried to really push the bounds on this movie that poured a ton of money into it, a ton of money into the advertisements. And then it came out and it wasn't well received at the time. And Disney was like, we're just going to hide this. And when it did eventually come back in 98, I think there is a small following. They're like, this movie's awesome. What is wrong with you people? <laughs> and uh, Joe and I both sounds like we're both kind of in that camp of no, no, this is great. Um, well, this is this honestly is one of those products of the time that. Is it's good storytelling, but with that action punchy sort of thing that like I honestly I liken this to certain aspects of uh, He-Man or certain aspects of yeah. the turtles where it's the the story beat, right? The the literary device that they're going for. When you when you boil it all down, what is it that there's seven different story beats or something <laughs> like that? And this is one of those where you don't have to dig too deep in order to find what story they're trying to tell. And they're doing it with action yeah. set pieces and fast moving things and honestly compelling characters, in my opinion. Like, yes, the kid is a brat. That's the point. But the <laughs> the all of the ancillary characters around the annoying kid I, I thought were <laughs> well presented in a way that actually kept me interested and didn't just, you know, scare me off by trying to ham fist something and something like that. Honestly, I would put some of these characters up against some of the modern day Disney stuff that all is either derivative or trying to ham fist something and smack you in the face with a fish. Well, I will say I love modern Disney. Um, but I will keep that discussion for another time. Um, <laughs> I, I just, you know, can't leave that one just hanging there. I got to let you guys know that if we were doing an episode about it, I would defend modern Disney. Um, maybe not the company, but some of the movies. Um, but yeah, so Treasure Planet was the opposite in that they they did a whole new effect with the moving background pieces in Treasure Planet. And they ended up trying to not advertise it at all and release it really close to, I think it was Lilo and Stitch so that maybe people wouldn't notice how great this film was. Disney kind of tried to sabotage themselves with treasure planet. Whereas in this, they put a lot into it. They really thought this was going to succeed. And then once it came out, they tried to hide it. Um, and yeah, when we, when you're talking about the characters to me, 
that's what makes it. It's really not the story for me. The story is fine. I like the story. I have some things I want to talk about with the story. But I think these characters were really like they were very compelling characters. I mean, even even the villain, even Horned King. I loved Horned King in this. Um, from from my understanding in the books, he's kind of a combination of the character Horned King, um, Arwan and Anuvin, I think, are the names of the other characters that they kind of just were like, we're just going to make him all three of these so that the story works without us having to introduce a ton of new people. Um. I don't know. The best thing I can come up with is maybe it was too dark for Disney fans of the time. Um, maybe it's because every Disney movie up till this, they're taking really short stories from like the Grimm brothers and stuff and trying to make it into a movie. Whereas this, they try to take three books and turn it into a single movie. Maybe that just, it was too fast paced for people. I don't know. I really don't understand why it wasn't well received. Um, Joe, you're talking about the characters. Who are some of your favorites? Um, I thought the, I thought what they did with the pig and, um, help me out. What is the, what is the little dog? Oh, ooh, ooh, uh, Gurgi. Gurgi. There. Yeah. I love Gurgi. Gurgi <laughs> is definitely my favorite by far and away. Gurgi is my favorite. Um, I had a soft spot for, like I said, the pig. I thought the pig was, uh, I thought all of that was, well done for what it was. I thought, you know, that it could have been worse. And honestly, I thought the Horn King was really good. You know, it, a lot of yeah. those characters from from that period of time, you know, a lot of a lot of those kind of uh, almost live and die by by the strength of their villain set. And I think this is no exception for that time period that you have a character that actually is presented with some weight and some gravity, you know, something, something that you can gives the, the more weight that you give the, to the villain, the more impactful it is when the protagonist, you know, saves the day and all of that kind of stuff. Yeah. The, yeah, the villain really made it. Horned King was awesome. Very, to me, very reminiscent of like Skeletor. Yes. Kind of yes. deal. Yeah, I'm like, yeah, this this guy's great. Um, obviously, I, I'm actually what's funny is I did not think we were going to agree on this. I, I for some reason, I thought you were going to like Taran and you were going to think that Gurgi was too just too animated as personality. So it's a f- but I'm there with you. It's a fine line when you have a character like this. If the character is written well and is funny and has a personality past this is the kids moment of the movie and i understand the whole movie is made for kids but like that there we have in cinema a lot of the time with stuff like this this is the character that's hey kids this is very clearly the comic relief and it's it's <laughs> very lowest common denominator i guess for this this is I, I don't know. I thought that the comedic timing and writing was done right. I thought the this the character past just being slapstick was done well, you know, stuff like that. Almost in the same vein as to why I enjoy a character like the Cheshire Cat from Alice in Wonderland. That's another great one. I um yeah, love Gurgi. Um Cheshire Cat, obviously another one. Uh, how do you feel about Creeper? I I appreciate it. I I think it, it's 
I think these kind, this kind of storytelling is the same kind of way that I like Universal monster movies. It's the same that same kind <laughs> of character set, and that with with a character like Creeper, it's very much like that. You know, henchman troll, you know, sort of character profile with something like that. That for me. Honestly, you're going to hear me speak in terms of profiles and characters and all that kind of stuff because it's literally like somebody took a buffet table, right, of all of these different types of IP, 80s, monster movie, all of these different things (laughs) and just kind of brought it all together in one like super presentation and said here. You know what I mean? Like I almost look at something like this as not Disney because it's so different from Disney. Yeah, it, it's weird. A lot of the themes seem very un-Disney. The animation's very in between two different eras of Disney. It's a really unique movie. Um, for me, Creeper, the dynamic of Creeper and Horned King, and this might be hard to follow, really reminded me of uh, the Smurfs with uh, Gargamel and Azrael, but like reversed, where the main villain's the one that's actually scary. And then he has this kind of goofy sidekick that I'm like, yeah, yeah, the classic villain sidekick of the 80s. I love that trope. <laughs> yes, yes. And some some yeah, tropes are times. tropes for a reason, and it's because they work. Yeah. Um, the pig. You mentioned the pig. I got to say, I also love the pig. Move over, Wilbert. Henwin for the money. If I had to pick an animated pig, one with uh, psychic powers, has to take the cake. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> uh, which is just a goofy kind of random thing added in that it, I don't feel like it comes off as goofy in the book, but it's like perfect for kid animation. Where it's like the pig, that was the key, <laughs> you know, like, yes, of course it was. Right. It's that, it's that, that fine line between, you know, you, it's not, it's not an adult movie and thus you're going to have some random plot points. Like the pig is the key to all of it and stuff like that. That <laughs> is just, it's just part of the story and that's okay. It's great. I love it. Um, But that being said, I I do want to, this isn't my recommendation. So I'm putting it in the regular episode. I I do want to say if you enjoy the black cauldron or if you don't, I think it's worth checking out the Chronicles of Prydane. Uh, It's a five book series. It has the horned King who I'm pretty sure he dies in the first book dies pretty early on really. Um, And you know, his role was actually as R one's champion and the war leader of Anuvin, um, very complex fantasy kind of book. If you love the Hobbit, if you love Lord of the Rings, um, Narnia, that kind of stuff. I've everything I've heard about this book is great. I've started listening to the first couple. I'm really enjoying it. I think it's something worth checking out. It's one of those. A lot of times when Disney takes some of these old stories and they redo it like Pocahontas, man, do they slaughter the story? <laughs> Even if Disney's version is great and fun and I love it. Uh, they they tend to not do what the actual story is. Right. For one reason or another. A lot of times it's because they make kids movies and these stories aren't always for kids. Um, I think in this, I feel like they do a really good job, even though they completely change a lot of the aspects. When you're having to boil down three books into one movie, you have to do that. And and I feel like they did a good, good job kind of getting the feel of what classic fantasy, especially at that time era, it was like. Yeah. Yeah, that's... <laughs> This is there's a fine line of what makes fantasy fun and what makes fantasy boring. I've not 
ever been shy about talking about the fact that the Lord of the Rings series of movies um, does not really sit on the right side for me. It just kind of plots and and just is is gets in its own way ninety percent of the time. The books, on the other hand, I think are very compelling. I think they're a great read. I think they're a lot of fun um, because the the plot is going forward you're not just trying to fill runtime to fill runtime the plot's always moving and that's what i think i appreciate about uh, about the black cauldron is as a fantasy film it is continuing to push the story forward in a way that keeps you compelled rather than just being long-winded because it's a fantasy flick yeah yeah um obviously it's no secret that i love lord of the rings i prefer to watch the extended cuts i i will sit through the regular ones if i have to very seldomly do i have to still waiting on the more extended cuts i i, I largely feel the same way about narnia i didn't love the movies yeah it took me a while to come around to the books but a lot of the books especially we're about to do review uh voyage of the dawn treader for me that book's where it's at for narnia i'm like i could just read that one and i'm happy <laughs> And I don't, I haven't finished this series. So maybe the first three are actually the only ones worth reading. I have no idea, but um, I love fantasy as a genre. It's just a fun thing to get into Disney's take on it. Even if it wasn't well received at the time, I still thought it was great. Joe thought it was great. There was one scene in it. And um, I got to say to me, Taron was very much, I feel the same about him as I do like the Skywalkers of star Wars where I'm like, man, what a whiny character. <laughs> Yes, he's the hero. Yes, he did a lot of good. And hey, I'm glad he won. But man, what a whiny character. <laughs> right. And one thing he did that I didn't want to kind of bring out. And again, like you mentioned earlier, that the themes in this are not hard to pull out. Right. And there's a scene where he's basically asked to sacrifice this sword that means everything to him for whatever reason. I, I don't want to get into it right now. The, the point is. It was his most prized possession. It's what made him a hero. And it was the he was asked to sacrifice it to receive the Black Cauldron so he could keep the Horned King from getting it. He makes the sacrifice and it was more or less for no reason. They, they couldn't do anything about it. <laughs> he sacrificed for no reason. And that is something that you don't see a lot. Typically, especially in kids movies, they make the sacrifice. Now they're the hero. Everyone happily ever after the end. It's not he made the sacrifice and he was tricked. What a fool. Right. <laughs> you know, that's just kind of unique to this movie in, in a lot of ways. Um, so I wanted to ask you, as far as thinking about sacrifice, when it's worth doing, when it's just meaningless, because a lot of times we just make sacrifice itself a virtue without saying, why are you sacrificing? Was it a good idea to sacrifice? It's just, you know, sacrifice. That's the virtue. How do we know when to sacrifice and when we're just kind of being duped or treating sacrifice itself as the virtue? Um, well, ultimately it, it's the, ultimately that's going to be an influence of the Holy spirit sort of thing. I think if we are evaluating the situation for what it is, you know, we need to discern each part of it and discern 
whether or not we are just trying to make ourselves martyrs for for martyrdom's sake um, and, and complicating things our own selves, or if we are called to sacrifice. And there are several different examples of this in several different uh, variations and nuance and all of those kinds of things that this can take. But, you know, I, I think being, being aware is, is definitely step number one. First off, I want to say kudos for not me being the one to give the Pentecostal answer on that. Because, <laughs> yes, it is very much discernment, very much Holy Spirit. I and mean, a lot of that has to be how you guide that, how you how you kind of answer this question. I can't find the exact verse I'm talking about, but ho- hopefully you'll know what I'm referring to. An- another big one for me, um, Jesus, when he's talking about fasting, he warns against people who fast and tell everybody about, oh, man, I'm so hungry. Oh, man, I'm feeling this way. And he says, when you fast, be the only one who knows you're fasting. Because then you're doing it for God and not to get attention. And I think a lot of times the question is, are you fasting so that you can feel like a good person? Are you fast? Like, what is your motive here, right? Um, are, is your sacrifice so that you look good? Is your sacrifice so that you can say you did the right thing and tell everybody how much you gave up for the other person? Or is it purely because you think it will produce the best outcome because you think you are helping others in some way? Um, I think a lot of it comes down to motive in that way. Does that kind of sound like I'm on the right beat with that? Yeah. When, when you have something like that, you know, there's two general paths and we kind of hit both of those, right? You there's, there's two parts. There's the, the spiritual aspect of it. There's the, the self-aware human aspect of it. And, you know, I I kind of, this is something that I have a way of talking about most Christmas seasons. There are some (laughs) that just that give gifts because out of a very selfish place, it's about them giving gifts, not about giving gifts to the other person. And and it's the same kind of way with this. Like you have these situations where somebody jumps in and wants to, wants to get involved or whatever. And it's simply because they have their own, um, desire to be recognized their own desire to you know it's like it's like when you do something good for somebody else and somebody takes a picture and posts it on social media well why why take a picture in grandstand (laughs) you know what i mean yeah I, i think it's a good practice to do good deeds without people knowing now i i do think and and there there's a balance to this right like there is an extent of letting people know on social media that there is this event going on, that you're a part of it. You'd like them to be a part of it so that you're getting more people to do a good thing. Like there's an extent where I understand that. But if all you're doing is giving and saying, look at me, I did a great thing. That's something totally different. Right. So I, I, it's not exactly the verse I was thinking of, but beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. This is uh, Matthew 6. Otherwise, you have no reward with your father who is in heaven So when you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets so that they may be honored by men. Truly, I say to you, they have had their reward in full. But when you give to the poor, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing 
so that your giving will be in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. When you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues on, and on the street corners so that they may be seen by men. Truly I say to you, they have the reward in full. But when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Um, I don't want to hang up too much on the reward stuff because we don't want to get into uh, <laughs> into that. Um, uh, what, what's what's it called? Prosperity. Yeah, I don't want to get into prosperity gospel kind of stuff because that's not what we do here. <laughs> but uh, there, there is this thing where God looks down and smiles on those who are just doing good things without trying to get attention for it. Um, and yes, here it wasn't really about attention in this movie. Like, I don't want to make, draw that direct parallel, right? He made a sacrifice, turned out to not be a great sacrifice. Sometimes, I, and what I what I honestly think is, if you're fasting and letting people know about it, if you're giving of yourself and telling everyone about it, a lot of times you kind of demean what the sacrifice was actually meant to do. So I think it's a good practice to do some of these things in secret, as that verse was saying. Not necessarily that you're trying to hide it, but right. Yeah. Um, did you have anything else you wanted to add or talk about with this movie? Yeah, you know, uh, this is one of those that is uh, very much a, a time capsule of the age in which it came out. And if you're, you know, on the, the fringes of enjoying stuff like Disney movies and things like that, like I am, this is one that I would absolutely recommend that you check out because there's just there's some really cool stuff in this one. We don't usually rate older movies, but what would you rate this one? Um, out of 10, I would give it a solid eight. I think if I think I probably feel about the main character, how you tend to feel about Luke Skywalker. <laughs> so yeah, I'm that, that definitely keeps it from being a 10 for me, but it's definitely a very, very good movie. Yeah. I, I won't rate this. <laughs> I, I'm pull, pulling a trick on everybody. No, I, I just I don't think I can rate it where I'm not going to go back later and go, oh, man, you should have gave it higher or you should have given it lower. I'm going to I just have a hard time making up my mind about this movie a lot of the time. Sometimes I love it. Sometimes I'm like, you know, just another Disney movie at the time. And I'm like, I, I don't know. Right. I just don't know. Right now, I'm like, yeah, man, totally an eight. Tomorrow, I might be like, mm, maybe a six. <laughs> it's really hard to say with this kind of movie, especially because for me, someone who just loves Disney, loves the history of Disney, loves the movies, the characters and all that. It happens to sit in this time where it's classic Disney. It's like all of them are tens in my mind. <laughs> like, I, how can I rate these? Right. It's just something that's precious to me that I'm very biased towards. So my rating's pretty much meaningless anyway. Right. Yeah. So uh, and that, that being said, you think you're ready to wrap up? Yeah. Sweet, sweet. Well, guys, hopefully you found this to be much like the movie. Uh, you know, we we switched some moods and tones a couple of times where we were talking about this silly little goblin and then immediately went into meaningless sacrifice. That's what this movie was. I would recommend you guys check it out. Um, as far as other recommendations, there was a. Well, Joe, do you want to go first? I got to look up what my the official title of mine. It was the newest Hellboy comic. Um, yeah, I would uh, definitely suggest if uh, I've got a kind of an oddball one, and I'm I'm sort of throwing this out there just to see 
just to gauge the room a little bit and see if there's anybody who who geeks out on this sort of thing. But um, I spent over ten years in the restaurant industry. Um, I, I've I've been a chef and all of those things. And I uh, one of my guilty pleasures is cooking shows. And uh, I found one that is a Canadian. I don't tend to like American ones, but there's a Canadian um, cooking show called Wall of Chefs that is just it's it's campy. It's ridiculous. It doesn't take itself too seriously, but it actually gives honest looks at like what it means to make a quality dish rather than like the showiness of Food Network and stuff like that. So if that's your jam, I would definitely say check it out. That's one thing I love about this show, just hearing some of these recommendations that that are seemingly like off the wall that I'm like, you know, I might have never bothered with a cooking show outside of this. Um, but that sounds like when someone else recommends something that you're like, you know, usually I trust their taste in things. Even if it's something outside of my wheelhouse, I'm willing to give it a shot. Hopefully our listeners are too. Um, here, here's mine. Here's mine. It's, it's a newer Hellboy comic. Still, Mike Magnolia is working on it, so you know it's great. Uh, Hellboy in the BPRD Night of the Cyclops. It's just a one-off, just simple one story with Hellboy, and it's the art's amazing. Um, at one point, Hellboy has goat feet, <laughs> and it's just very like, hey, what if Hellboy in Greek mythology? Let's just see. Right. <laughs> Fun stuff. Classic Hellboy story. Gotta love it. Um, that being said, if you want to find me or Joe or the other podcasts that we're on, Buddy Walk with Jesus in the Whole Church podcast, you can go to systematicgeekology.org, hit host. There's a drop-down menu. Both of our names are there. You can just click them. Everything we do is right there on the site. Um, that being said, guys, let us know if there's anything you've been geeking out on that you want us to check out or do an episode about. We'd love to hear about it. And do us a favor. Remember, we are all the chosen people, a geekdom of priests. This was an Anazal Ministries podcast. If you enjoyed this show and would like to learn more about our network, be sure to check out the Anazal Ministries podcast network.